You're listening to More in the Morning with special guest host John Tory on News Talk 1010 Toronto. 6.51. Good morning on a Thursday morning, and uh, thank you very much for all the nice uh, text messages you're sending in, saying that you're uh, welcoming me here, filling in for John Moore, and I will fill in from him uh, for him from time to time when he's on vacation, or uh, as today he's uh, resting up a bit to host the Sick Kids uh, Radiothon this afternoon. I guess there was one guy apparently who wrote in only one so far. Uh, this will encourage many others to do so, saying he was disappointed to uh, hear me on this morning when he woke up, and I'd suggest he should just pull the covers up over his head and go back to sleep. Uh, you know, you get used to this, especially when you've been in public life, but even in the five years before when I sat in this chair, um, I think the whole idea is actually you're going to have some people who don't agree with you or just don't like you. I certainly get got used to that when I was mayor, when you're trying to serve uh, three million people, and there's going to be some of the people that just don't uh, agree with you. But uh, it's uh, they told me when I first did this years ago, uh, you have to have opinions, and you have to be able to uh, articulate them, and uh, you know, that's what makes the world go around. So, uh, one of the things that uh, I think people find more interesting than provoking when it comes to the News Talk 1010 lineup is Dan Riskin, who comes on uh, to talk about uh, all things scientific, and he is News Talk Talk 1010's uh, science expert. Uh, Dan, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. Uh, Good to have you here. Uh, Daily singing. I don't know if this this applies to people, and you're going to tell us about that, because I'm particularly interested in hearing about this. Daily singing workout keeps songbird males take note, males, attractive. Uh, First of all, tell us about that. Secondly, does it work for people? Right, exactly. So, well, this is kind of a neat thing because there's something called the dawn chorus where, especially in the spring, you go outside and the birds are just yelling their heads off and and everybody knows, well, birds sing because they're trying to attract a mate. It's the males that put on these songs and they do these these very elaborate vocalizations that sound very beautiful and females are like, ooh, you sound so nice and then I'll mate with you and the nicer this voice, the more likely she is to mate with them and if 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 a male doesn't sing nicely, he does not get a female. So it really matters. And this is a study out of Denmark where they wanted to know, like, how singing matters, kind of like size matters. Is that the general idea? Exactly, exactly, exactly. (laughs) I mean, it's a little bit like, uh, you know, dressing well or, you know, fixing your hair or, you know, make clean your living room before somebody comes over. Like there are all these things you do to advertise that you've got your act together. Right. And for birds, it's really about singing this song really well. And so uh, these researchers in, in Denmark wanted to know how much of an exercise that is. Like, what happens if a bird doesn't sing for a couple of days? Does it lose the ability to to use its throat muscles properly? So there's a trick where if you put a bird in the dark for five hours, it won't sing. And so they managed to get some of their birds to keep singing and some of their birds not to sing. And then they recorded how the singing sounded after a break. And it turns out these birds become terrible singers very quickly. After seven days, um, the muscles have sort of lost a lot of their strength and the bird really can't hold a note. And so part of singing every day is just keeping those muscles in, in you know, basically in shape. And so uh, going back to the analogy of humans, it's a little bit like doing push-ups or going to the gym to keep your exercise so that you have muscle tone when you need it. And it turns out when you hear these birds singing in the morning in the spring, uh, a lot of that singing is just them trying to stay in shape so that when a female does come along, they when they sing, it sounds good. 
So if you want the beautiful swan, then you've got to, you know, I've got you under my skin. You got to every morning, you got to get up and do that first thing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So All you, right. It can't hurt. It, well, it might hurt, actually, if you're really bad at it, but it, it probably doesn't hurt. It might hurt the listener's ears. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about speaking of communicating. Uh, you know, I find it amazing these probes that we send off uh, into space. And in this case, we're talking about NASA's Voyager probe uh, stopped communicating. I find it amazing that they communicate for as long as they can from as far away as they can. And of course, I think in many cases, I've heard you talk about how long it takes for that signal to get from where the probe is to here. But uh, in the case of the Voyager probe, uh, it communicated for a miraculous period of time and stopped communicating. And how do you fix that from here? Or can, can Yeah, you? so Voyager 1 and Voyager 2 were sort of these twin probes. It launched in 1977. And uh, weirdly, Voyager 2 launched before Voyager 1. That always bugs me. But they did did nonetheless and they both took off and, and the reason they sent them off in the 70s is that there was this alignment of a whole bunch of planets Jupiter Saturn Uranus and Neptune so that in a straight line they could go past all of them and that only happens every like 175 years so they they launched they sent them out past the planets it was a five-year mission and then after they passed the planets they were like well I know we said it was a five-year mission but we could keep collecting data and so ever since then they have been just milking these probes trying to get more data out of them and uh, most recently these things I think it was in 2022 or, or so they oh 2012 sorry they crossed sort of from the, the our solar system into interstellar space by sensing the solar wind and the interstellar wind they could tell they'd cross this thing that they call the heliopause so they are really far from us and the battery is dying very slowly but they still managed to get data from them but now the bad news is that voyager one one of the two probes voyager one is still sending back uh information to earth but it's gobbledygook mm. and so we can send a signal to it and it receives a signal but what it's sending back is just a stream of zeros and ones it makes no sense and it's still sending to us but it's not making any sense they've tried turning it off and turning it on again uh and they've tried uploading different code uh but they're really uh they might this might be the beginning of the end for this probe it's still sending stuff but what it's sending doesn't tell us anything at all about its experience other than the fact that it's still sending stuff um but one of the challenges is as they send these software updates and they try these different things it does take 22 and a half hours at the speed of light for our signal to reach that probe and then 22 and a half hours at the speed of light for the signal to come back and so you can imagine if you there was a delay between your keyboard and the screen of 50 hours um it might get a little bit difficult so that's what they're up against and, and hopefully they can figure this out and, and fix the software but uh it's it's a it's it's not looking good it's for another day but uh it makes me think of when we do have a manned mission to mars and you know they get further and further away that how long it's going to take if there's an emergency to communicate you know yeah. back to Earth, oh yeah even and that's just to hear about the emergency never mind exactly that's what i mean just saying we got you know in houston we got a problem here but yeah. uh, anyway i shouldn't call you on this a complete diversion because we got to get back to cats and schizophrenia, but uh, when you mentioned that pr pronunciation you did of what I thought was Uranus, and, and I'm mentioning that because after the 9 o'clock hour, uh, I'm having on a uh, 9.30, actually, a surgeon uh, who's got a book out called Bummer, uh, and it's about matters related to <laughs> to your behind, and I think he might have taken issue with that uh, pronunciation, but nonetheless, I digress. I'm I love promoting. it. Well, you know, technically, you're allowed to pronounce it either way, Uranus or Uranus, and I actually chose Uranus in that sentence because I knew that Uranus was an inevitable diversion. Well, and that allows just, me to promote this book, and the guy's coming out to talk about it. So, no, no, thank you for that uh, for that segue. Uh, cats and schizophrenia. I mean, people may say, what do they have to do with each other? But the fact is, there may be something. 
Yeah, so there's this parasite of cats that they can get if they're outdoor cats. And uh, if you change the kitty litter, you can be exposed to this. And it's this parasite that it, it affects animals, but it can get into almost anything. And we've found out that it can get into humans. And we thought that that wasn't a big deal for humans for a long time. The only real health risk for humans was if a pregnant woman caught it when during her pregnancy, it could oh. cause problems for the fetus. That's if you've ever heard that uh, pregnant women aren't supposed to change the kitty litter, that that's the uh, that's the reason for that. But it turns out that these parasites they sort of lodge in the brain and they make these little tiny changes to our behavior and to our personalities that kind of had been under the radar before. And people are starting to take a lot more seriously. But one of the things it does is increase the risk of schizophrenia. Uh, and now this new meta analysis, looking at it's an analysis of analyses, looking at a whole bunch of different studies, estimates that if you own a cat. You, the likelihood that you will get schizophrenia is roughly doubled compared to a wow. person who doesn't own a cat. So it's it's a bit of a, a risk that a lot of people don't realize they're taking on when they choose cat versus dog. And uh, if you're a dog person, you can use this as ammunition. To I was just going to say the cat lobby and and the the, the, the dog <laughs> lobby will be very unhappy with that because that's a pretty definitive kind of when you hear twice as much. I mean, that's uh, that's something. Yeah, with, I mean, uh, the, the odds are very, very, very low that you will get schizophrenia yes. at all, but they are doubled. So double of yeah. very, very, very low is still very very low but it's not as low as it was well on that note we'll say thank you uh, for today and always so you i find what you contribute every day very interesting it never ceases to amaze me all the different things that are going on out there including uh, people uh, singing if they want the beautiful swan they have to sing uh, <laughs> so that uh, we'll, we'll have to keep that in mind and i'll try it out and let you know how it goes right on keep Dan, singing john Dan thanks Dan a lot and our science expert here on news talk 1010